Hi, and welcome back to Wonder Women, a podcast that tells the stories of inspirational women in history you may never have heard of. I'm Dominique Roberts. And I'm Megan ArmConnect. All right, so today's podcast is about a woman who did a lot of firsts. And from a woman you might not have expected to be progressive for her time period or religion. This woman's name was Martha Hughes Cannon, and she was the first ever female state senator. She was a doctor, she traveled around the United States and Europe, and she was also the fourth wife of a Mormon polygamist. But don't let these seeming contradictions fool you. Maddie, as she liked to be called, her life story is a beautiful collage of paradoxes, ambitions, and determination that is inspiring for anybody. I know it's certainly been inspiring for me. Maddie was born on July 1st, 1857 in Wales. Her parents were Peter and Elizabeth Evans Hughes, and both of her parents were converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, commonly known as the Mormon or the LDS Church. During this time, Mormon missionaries encouraged converts in the British Isles to move to Salt Lake City, Utah, where there was a large gathering of Mormons. The Hughes family was really poor. Peter was a carpenter, and the hope of getting their own land in America, plus leaving harassment behind in Wales, and also joining with other Latter-day Saints, appealed to both Peter and Elizabeth. So they decided to immigrate to the United States with their two daughters, Mary and Maddie, and moved to Utah, where other Mormons were gathering and building up communities in the American West under the direction of Brigham Young. The family, like many other Mormon British families, left Wales, traveled to the port of Liverpool, and then left for New York City. The Hughes family left in March of 1860, and Maddie was only four years old at the time. On the voyage, her father became very sick, and when the family arrived in New York City in May of 1860, Peter couldn't find work, so the family was destitute and stuck in New York City without anywhere to go. Since Peter couldn't work, Elizabeth found work as a seamstress to make money to both live in the city, care for her husband and her two little girls, and then also save up money to head west. So Elizabeth is a Wonder Woman in her own right. While working for a living and trying to take care of her family, she also gives birth to a third daughter, who they name Annie. So while they're stuck in New York City, a Mormon leader named Erastus Snow finds out about the plight of the Hughes family and offers to help them get to Utah by helping them to join a wagon company funded by the LDS Church for the Unfortunate. Of course, the family accepts this, and they start their trip to Utah in July of 1860. The overland journey was really difficult for the family. Peter was sick the entire time, and then the baby, Annie, got sick, and she died just a few days before the family got to the Salt Lake Valley. Then, just three days after arriving in Salt Lake, Peter dies, leaving Elizabeth a widow. These deaths had a major impact on Maddie, even though though she was only four years old. Her father's death and her baby sister's death and the suffering and sickness she saw on the plains and in the Salt Lake Valley really piqued her interest in becoming a doctor. She wanted to prevent deaths like these. Maddie had a lot of people to back her up in her dream to become a doctor, but achieving this dream took education, which required money, and her family was really poor. To get money, Maddie went to work doing odd jobs. She eventually found a job she loved in typesetting. Brigham Young, the Mormon prophet and governor of the territory of Utah, asked Maddie to become a typesetter for the newspaper The Deseret News. Maddie enjoyed the work. She was not only paid well, but it allowed her to read articles. Later, she was noticed by prominent Mormon female leaders, Eliza R. Snow and Emmeline B. Wells, who hired her to be a typesetter for The Woman's Exponent, which was a pro-suffrage feminist newsletter. Both of these women encouraged Maddie in her pursuits to become a doctor, and at age 16, Maddie entered the University of Deseret, which is now the University of Utah, as a pre-med student, majoring in chemistry. So while she was at university, Maddie still worked as a typesetter during the day, and she took night classes. She was also quite the nonconformist. She preferred pants to skirts, and she enjoyed wearing men's boots more than women's boots because they were more practical. She also chopped her hair off, which in 1870 was 
pretty unusual. In 1878, Maddie finished her undergrad education, and she was, quote, set apart along with three other Mormon women. So set apart in Mormon terms basically means that someone um, is blessed with strength for a special mission. And Maddie certainly felt that this was her special mission in life, to be a doctor and to heal people and help people. So Maddie, along with the other two women, go to the University of Michigan to get their medical degrees. So Maddie graduates from the University of Michigan on July 1st, 1880, which is her 23rd birthday. She continues postgraduate studies at the University of Pennsylvania, where she was the only woman in a class of 75 students. She also earned a diploma from the National School of Elocution and Oratory, where she was so noted for her public speaking that many of her colleagues lamented her decision to not pursue a career in stage acting. So by the time she's 25, Maddie has four degrees. Maddie moves back to Salt Lake City in 1882, where she sets up her own practice in a wing of her parents' home. She received patients at home and also traveled across the Salt Lake Valley to take care of patients. Also in 1882, she is asked by Mormon church leaders to be the resident physician for the newly founded Desert Hospital. And as the hospital's paid physician, Maddie sets up training classes for nurses and lectures on obstetrics. And so for Maddie, it was really important to teach other women, especially the skills that she learned back east and how these really important skills like to be a doctor and to take care of, of bodies and to be healthy and clean. These were really important. So while at Deseret Hospital, Maddie met her future husband, and his name was Agnes Cannon, and he was the superintendent of the hospital. So Maddie had been in love with other men before, both in Utah and back east. In fact, one man in Philadelphia was so in love with her that he converted to Mormonism and then moved out to Salt Lake City to be with her, but she wasn't in love with him, so she, he moved back east. But Agnes was the man she chose to marry, even though he practiced polygamy. He already had three wives, all of who were substantially older than Maddie. So just a note on plural marriage slash polygamy. We won't go into too much depth here since it is a very complicated and different box, but this is an important part of the story and of Maddie's life, even though it is controversial. Agnes and Maddie were married in 1884. However, their marriage was kept secret. Even Maddie's mother didn't know that Maddie was married. So the reason the marriage was kept secret was because legally that marriage was not allowed by the U.S. government. Mormon polygamy was an extremely controversial topic in Utah Territory and in the rest of the country. Mormons believed that plural marriage was sacred and ordained by God, but its practice was extremely offensive to the rest of the United States. Congress passed a series of acts trying to dissuade and prevent Mormon plural marriages from happening each with increasingly more punitive penalties. So in 1882, when Maddie came back from the University of Pennsylvania and the University of Michigan, there was an act called the Edmonds Act, and it was passed by Congress, which made polygamy a felony, punishable by a $500 fine and five years in prison. So when Agnes and Maddie got married, what they were doing was illegal. So the marriage was just a religious ceremony rather than a legally binding contract. So she actually didn't even really live with Agnes during this time, even though they were, they were married religiously, but not according to the law. Still, rumors of her and Agnes's marriage started floating around, and this brought a lot of pressure to Deseret Hospital and disrupted Maddie's work. Maddie was called to testify against Agnes in court to say that she was a poor wife, but she eluded officials. Still, Agnes was arrested, fined, and sent to jail. 
So Maddie joined the Mormon underground, which was basically men and women who lived in polygamous relationships, but who were hiding from the law to avoid federal marshals. She not only feared testifying against Agnes, but she feared being forced to provide testimony against others based on information she gathered through, um, through her work as, an, as a doctor and a nurse. She, she was a midwife to a lot of women, so she knew that there were a lot of women living in polygamous relationships and having children, and she didn't want to testify against these women. So after Agnes was sent to jail, Maddie discovered that she was pregnant herself. She had her first daughter, Elizabeth, while in hiding and while Agnes was still imprisoned. So since it was becoming increasingly difficult for Maddie to avoid the federal marshals, especially now that she had a baby, Maddie and her daughter, Lizzie, left for Europe in 1886 to go into exile. They spent a lot of time with Maddie's mother's family in Wales. So also during this time, the U.S. government is still like ramping up its crackdown on Mormon polygamy. And so they pass another act called the Edmonds-Tucker Act in 1887, which takes away church property and strips all Utah women, either Mormon or non-Mormon, of the right to vote. So interestingly enough, actually all women in Utah territory had the right to vote before like any other territory. But because of this act, all women's rights to vote were taken away. So this is before the 19th Amendment. This is before even Wyoming as a state gives women the right to vote. Like this is like, this was the first time women could vote, but Congress takes that away in order to try to get polygamy and plural marriage. They were trying to stop that from happening. So this exile was really hard on Maddie when she was in Europe. Not only did Agnes marry two more women while she was in exile, and that made her incredibly jealous, but she was also really homesick, and her daughter was often really sick. But actually, because of Maddie's medical training, she saved her daughter's life at least three times on that trip. And still through that, though, she was able to learn a lot from visiting hospitals and nursing schools in Britain, France, and Switzerland that she planned to bring back to Utah when she ever got the chance. Also, during her time abroad, she wrote that she would rather be a stranger in a strange land and be able to hold my head up among my fellow beings than to be a sneaking captive at home. It just wasn't safe for her to be in Utah. So even though it was hard being abroad, it just it made her feel more, um, more dignified and like she was actually a human being while she was abroad than being, being back in Utah and being chased by the federal agents. So in 1888, the warrant for her arrest expires and she goes back home to Salt Lake City. And of course, so she's sailing from from Europe and she first gets to New York City and she's really surprised to see that Agnes is waiting for her. And that makes her really happy. But when they all get back to Salt Lake, she throws herself back into her medical career by resuming her practice and she actually establishes the state's first nursing school. She still can't publicly acknowledge her marriage though because it's still illegal to be a plural wife in Utah. So in 1890, LDS Church President Wilfred Woodruff announces in a manifesto that there will be no more plural marriages performed by any LDS member of the church. Like so, they so plural marriage is done with. He announces that it's that it's done with, and that appeases the U.S. government, and so that allows Maddie actually that she doesn't have to worry about being arrested anymore, and she's able to have more freedom to do her work, and she's able to live her life without fearing that federal marshals are going to subpoena her, and she actually at this time has a second child. Maddie was a proponent of women's suffrage. She testified to the United States Congressional Committee about women's suffrage in Utah, and she was a featured speaker at the World Columbian Exposition of 1893, as well as the 50th anniversary of the Seneca Falls Convention. And she strongly advocated for women's rights and wanted there to be equality, arguing that one of the principal reasons why women should vote is that all men and women are created free and equal. So at the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, the Chicago Record called her one of the brightest exponents of women's causes in the United States. They were very impressed with how she spoke for women's rights. She was a very powerful speaker. 
She also made sure to look the part of an eloquent, put-together woman. There were lots of stereotypes about Mormon women at that time, especially because there were so many women in plural marriages. A lot of a lot of U.S. citizens thought that Mormon women weren't smart and that they were uninformed, that they were dupes. And so she didn't want to play into those stereotypes. So it was really important for her to not only speak well, but also look the part. But also interestingly, and this kind of like seems like a paradox, she was also a defender of polygamy. It might seem strange that such an independent, intelligent woman advocated plural marriage, but she felt very strongly that this was her choice. Plural marriage also gave her more opportunities to explore careers outside of the home. When explaining the advantageous position of a polygamous wife to a San Francisco journalist, Maddie said, If a woman's husband has four wives, this woman has three weeks of freedom every single month. Somehow I know that women who stay home all the time have the most unpleasant homes there are. You give me a woman who thinks about something besides cook stoves and wash tubs and baby flannels, and I'll show you, nine times out of ten, a successful mother. In 1896, Utah finally became a state. Maddie was encouraged to go into politics. She ran for state senator as a Democratic candidate. And actually, Agnes, her husband, ran for state senator on the Republican ticket, so they were um, running against each other. And the press had a lot of fun with this, that the fourth wife of a polygamist was running against her husband in the state election. The Salt Lake Herald, a Democratic newspaper, said that Mrs. Maddie Hughes Cannon is the better man of the two. Send Mrs. Cannon to the state Senate and let Mr. Cannon, as a Republican, remain at home to manage home industry. And then the Deseret News said that the race was causing tension between the couple and that Agnes did not find it easy to accept his wife's effrontery. However, both Agnes and Maddie reported that there was no tension from the race or the results, although it's impossible to really know. But actually, Maddie ends up winning. So she ends up defeating her husband in the state election, and she was the first woman elected as a state senator in the United States. Um, So she received about 10,000 votes, while her husband received only like 8,000. And she was the only woman at that time in the Utah state or county governments. And so Maddie spent a good deal of her time as senator promoting public health causes. That was really, really important to her. She advocated for vaccinations. She created a state board of health. And she was an incredibly active and successful senator. But she decided not to run again because she had a third child born. And at the end of her term, the Deseret News wrote that in political conventions, her wit, rapid thinking, and knowledge made her capable of holding her own and representing her sex most favorably. So she was she was um, she was really admired for her work and what she did, but later in her life she moved um, with her children to California for health reasons. But in California, she was still very active in the public health scene. For example, while in California, Maddie became the vice president of the National Congress of Tuberculosis, and she finished out her life as a private health practitioner. So Maddie died in 1932 in Los Angeles, and she, but she was buried in the Salt Lake City Cemetery by by her husband Agnes. For me, Maddie's life shows complexity and determination. In her life, she fulfilled many roles, including that of a faithful Mormon, a doctor, a mother, a polygamous wife, a teacher, a a suffragette, and a senator. I think her story is really interesting. Kind of, there's it's impossible to put her into one box. She was so many different. She was so many different things, and she was just purely herself. She was Maddie Hughes Cannon, and she she had a desire to do good and to be good. In fact, something that she wrote, which I think is really beautiful, is that she said, Even if we have to be poor, let us not waste our talents in the cauldron of modern nothingness, but strive to become women of intellect and endeavor to do some little good while we live in this protracted gleam called life. And I love that, like to do some little good. And I think that really was a Maddie's life motto to do good, even in midst of um, 
even in the midst of being misunderstood and um, of difficulties in her marriage and trying to create a, a space for herself. But she she really was so successful in what she what she set out to do. And it's definitely a, a wonder woman in her own right. You know, I had no idea about any of this, uh, that the first female senator was Mormon or a doctor. I mean, none of it. I, I had never even heard of this woman. That was so fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. And if you guys enjoyed it as well, check out our other episodes. Well, thanks so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next time. Wonder Women is edited by Dominique Roberts with original music by Matthew Gregory. 